Lord, your name is an amazing and great name. Lord, your power is infinite. Your strength is immeasurable. Lord, we are we're small and weak and broken while you are mighty and, and great and perfect in everything that you do. And yet, Lord, you loved us enough that you allowed your son to become one of us to take on a frail human body that could experience pain and brokenness. You loved us enough, Lord, to send him into a broken world that he might be used and abused emotionally for the needs of people that were around him. Lord, it's moments like these in life that remind us that that we are indeed in need of you. No matter how great our technology, no matter how mighty our military, no matter how rich we are in finances and in conveniences of life, the smallest of things in this world can sideline all of us. Lord, I just pray that in this season of uncertainty and in this season of of panic for some, Lord, that we might, as as your children and certainly collectively as a community of people living in the United States, we might recognize that we've walked far from you. And a part of the reason for our fear right now, Lord, is that a lot of us just don't have the relationship with you that our grandparents and our parents had and that we need. Father, I pray that this might lead to a great revival. That, God, we might learn and remember some lessons that we learned in these moments. That we might become humbled as a people. That we might return to you. Father, we just thank you that we have the opportunity to gather this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that, that it contains. Just open our hearts to it, Lord, as we open that today. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What a difference a week makes, huh? Two weeks ago, you would have never guessed that the final four of basketball would be canceled or that school would be out for the next month. And I know some of you are celebrating that while others of you are bemoaning that. And, uh, and I understand. We would never have guessed a lot of things that happen in this life. And there's so many things in life, as many of us know, just because we've lived life, there's so many things in life that compete for our attention and can sideline us from the things that we know in our heart are so very important. Over the last month or so, we've been going through a series of lessons that we've called Headspace, and we've been talking about the the state of where our minds are. What is it that's going on in our mind, and how does that affect every other part of us? And we've used kind of as a theme uh, the passage in Romans where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The Bible, from the very beginning, has this idea that, that we can change who we are as an individual and so much about our life by simply changing our mindset. And we've taken a look at the science of that. We've taken a look at how sometimes we believe a lie that we're kind of stuck with the brain that we've gotten or that, that we've somehow been handed a, a divine set of cards. And, and the Bible tells us, no, in fact, in fact, you can change the way that you think and, and look at the world. And not only that, but, but God has given us the opportunity to freely choose who we will follow and who we will serve. We've taken a look at, at some tools that we can kind of put into our toolbox to help us 
focus our minds and, and use our minds to create the kind of change that we need to see in our lives. And this morning, we're going to draw this series nearing to a close and talking about something that I think that we know instinctively, but sometimes it's important to be reminded. All of us on occasion need a moment of refocus. We need that moment where we step back and say, okay, wait a second here. Am I really seeing what am I, I'm seeing? Am I, am I really dealing with what I think I'm dealing with? Um, what is it that I really need to focus on in this world? Truthfully, there's a lot of things that are competing for our focus every day. Certainly, probably all of us came into the church building this morning, and there was a certain amount of clutter in our mind because culturally, there, there's kind of a panic, I guess would be the best way to describe it, a, a panic about a, a very dangerous, it sounds like, virus that could spread through our population. Certainly, that captivates our attention. But in other seasons and in other times, it's, it's different kinds of things. For different people, it's different kinds of things, right? For some of us, it's our, if it's our academic pursuits. A lot of college students, you guys, guys are kind of getting ready for that spring, the last part of the spring semester. Some of you are preparing for graduation, and there's all that burden on your shoulders. For some of us, it's, it's, it's our jobs and our occupation, our families. There's a million things that can distract our focus from what it is that's truly important. We marvel at geniuses like Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein had this mind that he was just able to kind of spool off and go into absolute focus. And I, I would love to be like Albert Einstein. How, how many of you this morning, a little moment of honesty here, how many of you this morning have just a wee bit of trouble focusing? Like how many of you right now are not are wondering what question did Jason just ask that people are, are yeah, that's some of us, right? Yes, that's right. I don't know, Jason. I asked how many of you had trouble focusing, just so you know. All right, you can raise your hands now. Um, yeah, I'm there sometimes, all right? It's not hard for me to be sitting in a place, and I, I've mastered the poker face of attentiveness, but my mind has gone off into another realm. It's very dangerous when you're in school, right? Because the teacher tells you something you need to know, like this bit of homework is due, or this test is, is tomorrow. You show up in class unprepared. Didn't you hear me, Jason? No, right? Yesterday, Michelle is talking to me. She's telling me something very, very important. We've been married almost 20 years. Um, is it I shouldn't say things like that because I'm not good at math either. Um, we've been married around 20 years, and Michelle looked over at me and said, you're not listening, are you, Jason? She just knew, right? She knows the look. I think it's the blank stare. Um, but, uh, and actually, I was listening, but I just didn't remember what she had said a moment before. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I don't think the coronavirus affects your mind, but if it does, we might be doomed. Um, but, uh, but we all need that moment of refocus, and we're going to take that opportunity this morning to kind, of, to kind of refocus. Because in life, guys, we, we, we have a, a daily choice. Are we going to focus on our purpose, or are we going to focus on our problems? I don't care who you are in this room this morning. You have problems. Some of us might say, well, your problems are nothing compared to my problems, right? People do that all the time. But the truth is, is that we all have problems. Some of our problems are financial. Some of them are relational. Some of them are personal. Some of them are addiction-based. Some of them could come from a lot of places I'm not going to think of this morning. We all have problems, grief and struggles and loss. Are we going to focus on our problems or are we going to focus on our purpose? 
The Apostle Paul has a beautiful passage of scripture that we're going to jump into this morning. It's found in Philippians, the third chapter, one of my favorite passage or chapters in the scripture. Probably many of you have read through it many times. Paul writes this. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, most of us here, I think, this morning know a little bit about the life of the Apostle Paul. And so when I say the words Apostle Paul to you, that computes for you. You know a little bit about him. But just in case there's some of us that are here today that are like, who is this guy, Paul? <clears throat> he, was a, he was a man that God chose to be the ambassador to the non-Jewish world, to the Gentile world. The Apostle Paul quite likely endured more suffering, more heartaches, and more grief to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the lost world, who oftentimes were not very interested in receiving it than maybe any of the other apostles. His life and his ministry was punctuated season after season, time after time, with a lot of struggle and a lot of heartache. Paul lists it at one point because people were saying, oh, Paul's really not an apostle. And Paul says, really? I wonder if any of you guys have put this much skin in the game. Multiple times that he was beaten and flogged, uh, 39 lashes minus, or 40 lashes minus one, the story always went that if they beat you the 40th time, you would die. Probably not so, but it was severe beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks. The entirety of Paul's life was one big wound for the gospel. But Paul talks to the church in Philippi, and he says, church, I want you to know something. I don't think I've made it yet. I haven't finished the, crossed the finish line yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, towards the prize, towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Every day we wake up and life will never be the same as it once was. I was listening to somebody this morning, and they're like, America is forever changed. I don't know how they know that, but <laughs> they're pretty certain of it, right? Maybe it's true. Maybe we are. Maybe we'll never be the same that we were before this. But really, that doesn't matter. What matters are the opportunities that lie before. And I love what Paul says there. He says, this one thing I do. So how do we get there? How do we get to that place where Paul was, where he's like, I just forget everything else and I'm pushing forward. I'm not, I'm not being encumbered by the past. I'm not being encumbered by the past mistakes because the Apostle Paul, if you know his story, had plenty of them. He was a persecutor of the church, a killer possibly, of people who confessed the name of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm not going to think about the things that I've lost. Paul lost his position, maybe lost family. He probably had lost a lot more than he tells us. He said, I'm not going to think about past hurts. His story was full of those hurts. How do we get to that place where we can do what Paul did and focus our minds simply on the opportunities ahead and not allow all those confusing thoughts that tend to bother most of us to flood back time and time again? Well, I think Paul gives us a little bit of information in the verses that precede this passage in Philippians 3. 
verses 13 and 14. So let's back up and let's notice that Paul gives us three points of focus, really, that he feels like that are important. Philippians, the third chapter still, but let's go back to verse number 10, which is a little bit ahead of where we just read. And Paul is talking about his, his depth of commitment here, all right? And, and whenever I read through Philippians 3, I'm blown away by Paul's singleness of mind and his singleness of commitment. Paul is all in. I don't know how many of you have ever been at a place in life where you're all in for something. Uh, maybe if, uh, probably for, for marriage, hopefully and all of us here are at least today all in on a marriage. Um, you know, that's a little bit scary. When you get a new baby into the world, right? I don't know how many of you dads and moms were like me <laughs> when I held my newborn baby. It was kind of an overwhelming weight. I was so excited that she had 10 fingers, 10 toes, and was healthy. But also I'm thinking God has in place this eternal baby for me to raise. And this child is going to have an eternity. And, and the decisions I make are going to affect that. That's, that's a pretty heavy thing. Paul says, I, I focus on one person. Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, he says that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I am all in. Now, there's something that kind of ties these two passages of Scripture together. And that is that Paul is focused, both in verses 13 or the latter part of 14, where he says, I, I, I'm, I'm pressing on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then again here, down in verse number 11, when he says that, that, that I might know him, the him there is Jesus, I might know the power of his resurrection, Christ's resurrection, I might share in his sufferings, Christ's sufferings, become like him, Christ, in his death, that by any means. It's interesting to me that Paul, Paul seems to think and be convicted that his understanding of Jesus is paramount to being able to focus his mind on the most important things that are out there. And I think Paul is very, very right. If God had wanted to, God could have sent Jesus into this world, dropped him off. He could have died the next week, gone back to heaven. The price for our sin would have been paid. Our eternity would have been secure. But God chose to do something very different. He chose to allow his son to be born into this world as a simple baby, to be raised up for 30 years as a regular child, and then to have a difficult ministry that, that followed that, a time period where Jesus walked and talked and lived and loved and served, to give us a demonstration of what it means to be that kind of person. Paul said, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him so well that I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. And yes, I want to know the power of that resurrection. So let's take a look at some of those things that Paul said. Paul said, I want to know Jesus in this life. Paul wants to know the power, the strength that's available through a Christian walk and through the resurrection of Jesus. Galatians, the second chapter, verse 20, Paul kind of builds on this to another church in another place when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. You know this passage. It is no longer I but who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, look, I'm alive, but I'm not living for me anymore. I'm living for him. 
This life that I live, I'm living through his power and by faith in him. And so that's sometimes we, we wonder, why does Paul do the radical things that Paul does? Why does Paul take the risks that seem, seem so unproductive? It's because Paul was no longer living to save himself. He was living to change the world with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul believed that Jesus would empower him to accomplish everything that he was set out to do. In the next chapter in Philippians, following Philippians 4 and verse 13, most of us know this, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength or who strengthens me. Paul recognized that, that knowing Jesus and having faith in Jesus was absolutely essential for him to be able to carry this message out into a world. And look at the powerful witness that we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we look and we scratch our heads and we say, why did he do all the things that he did? Why was he successful as he was? Well, it's because Paul believed that God was going to be with him and in his corner. I'm glad to see that the church building this morning is full. We're not as full as we normally are, but we're full. And I know that, that for some of us, that was a thought process this morning. We sat and said, hmm, should I go to church? And I'm glad that you guys are here, because I think it reflects a little something. And I'm not saying to anybody who's watching at home today, there's many of you that should be doing that, and we thank you for doing that, especially if you're not feeling well or if your immunity's shot. We understand that. But as Christians, we continue to walk the path that we walk, regardless of what goes on in the world. Paul took a lot of risk and paid a heavy price, but God gave him strength. And he accomplished that mission. Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of your suffering. Fellowship is a kind of interesting word right there. It a, means a kind of a joint participation. I like fellowship when it has to do with dinners, right? We like fellowship dinners. Wednesday night, fun time. We all get together, sit around the table, share a meal that someone's prepared, visit with one another. Those are good times. I am all for fellowship. I like fellowship at, at camps, and I love fellowship at NYR and places like that. But, but Paul's talking about a different kind of participation here. He's talking about participation in suffering. He's talking about a, a, a gathering in a difficult place. And boy, that doesn't sound near as exciting as a good fellowship dinner over an etouffee, right? 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this in verses 10 and 11. He said, I'm always carrying in my body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also always be manifest in my body. What Paul is saying there, it's kind of a confusing passage, but what he's really saying simply there is, is I always remember that Jesus died for me to give me an opportunity to always live for him. Paul desired to know Christ, and it took on really four forms. His desire, number one, took on a personal form. He says that I may know him. Guys, it's important for us to know Christ. And, and if you don't know Christ here this morning, if you've never made that commitment to have your sins washed away, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's important, and we want you to talk with us about that before you leave today, because that's an essential thing. We want to know Christ, and it's important that we know him. But Paul also wanted more than just a knowledge of who Jesus was. Paul said, I want there to be a, I want to be a powerful relationship that we have, that I may, and the power of his resurrection, he said. I, I want to know what that's like. I want to know how that changes things, the fact that Jesus came back from the dead. Right? And that Jesus 
has ascended into heaven. That's changed the entire dynamic, the entire story of mankind for all time. It's no longer a story that death wins. Sometimes I think, guys, that we, we forget that death doesn't get to win anymore. That Jesus broke the back of death. Paul says, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting, right? We all know that death hurts. We all know that separation is painful. But Paul says, I want to live in the power of knowing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has broken that death. Paul said, I want my knowledge of Jesus to take on sometimes a painful attribute. I want a fellowship in his suffering. I don't always recognize the value of suffering. It wasn't until a few years ago that I did something really stupid and hurt myself really badly that, that I recognize that there's a great value in suffering. Some of you have suffered much, much more than I ever have, probably ever will in life, and, and you know that. It's interesting that when I talk to people who have truly suffered, and I, I'm not the barometer of suffering, but there's sometimes when people tell their stories, you just know that they have suffered. One of the interesting things when I talk to people who are believers and they talk about suffering, they will almost always say, but you know what, I'm a better person because I walked through that valley. I'm a better person because I had to deal with that struggle I have a better walk and a better relationship with God. Not that I would want to go through that, and I certainly wouldn't have elected to have that as a part of my story, but because that was a part of my story, God used that to build me into a better person and a stronger character. It's a beautiful thing about God, and Paul recognized that in this place of maturity. He said, I want to have fellowship in his suffering. If I have to suffer, so be it. I want to know Jesus. But it was also practical for Paul. Paul knew that he was carrying the message of the gospel to a world that hated it and a world that was violent outside of really our understanding. No time this morning to talk about the world that Paul brought the gospel into because it's, and it's too horrible really for us to recount. But just let me say that the cost of a life in Roman Empire was almost nothing they killed people for amusement. Certainly, they would kill people if they were breaking the social constraints that were, that were prescribed as normal. And Paul was going into places, and he was changing the way that cities and, and religions were run. People said, as Paul came to a town, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You can bet that Paul knew that at some day, some point in time, these beatings, these imprisonments, these shipwrecks would end in his own death. But Paul said, it's okay. I want to know Jesus, and if I have to die like Jesus, so be it. Paul, Paul perfected what it means to focus on his purpose and not his problems. There were a lot of problems for Paul in life, but he, he chose to focus on the reason why he was here. And he chose to focus on something else that I think it's important for us to mention this morning. He chose to focus on the prize. Paul was, was, was motivated and encouraged, if you will, that there was something more than just this life that he was living for. If you notice again in verses 12, and 12 13, and 14 of Philippians 3, he said, not, already, not that I've already obtained this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, if you don't get anything else this morning, guys, and you're looking for a word of encouragement, this is a beautiful word of encouragement. 
Paul said, I'm not perfect, but I, I press on. I love that language. It's this, 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 relentless, this relentless effort. I move forward to make it my own. I want to know this. I want this to be real for me because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ said, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you so much that I will die so that you can have a seat at my father's table. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, as we already read, forgetting what is behind, I press on towards what lies ahead. There's several things that Paul mentions right here that I think we have to have as a part of our character in order to pick up what Paul's saying to us. Number one, Paul says we have to have a certain amount of humility. One of the things that has happened in our country over this past week is that we've become humbled. And I think that's a good thing. I heard our president say something the other day that I really appreciated. He said, I am being tested. And he asked that all believers in the country would, 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 would stop several times today and just lift up him and the nation in prayer. Listen, I don't care who you are in the White House. The burden that is on your shoulders is, is an enormous one. And I appreciate that there's a moment of, of pure honesty and humility from our leadership. And I hope that that radiates through the rest of our leadership as well. Paul recognized that we, we must be humble. In church, there's no reason for us to get arrogant. <laughs> Most of us are in touch with ourselves well enough to know that, that in giving day, in any given moment, just when we think everything's going well, as Mr. Jody pointed out in class this morning, we're likely to do some crazy thing that we wish that we hadn't done, say something that we wish we hadn't said, fall prey to some temptation that we knew better than to do, even if we don't recognize that physically we are weak. And Paul said, I haven't already obtained it. I'm not already there. We might look at him and say, he's a hero of the faith. Paul said, I'm not that. I'm a fellow struggler. And he recognized that forgiveness was needed. Not only did he need humility, but he needed forgiveness. And, and, and we, we wonder about Paul. How did Paul cope with not being all that he could be? How did Paul cope with the knowledge of what he had done early on when he was completely fooled and really didn't think that Jesus was a Messiah and had led a campaign of terror against the early church in Jerusalem? How did Paul cope with about that? And, and Paul said a couple things. He said that I, I choose to forget something. And oftentimes we look at that passage where Paul says, I, I forget what is behind, and we think of all the negativity, right? But that's not, Paul didn't say, I, I forget my failures of the past. He said, I forget the past. I forget my successes. Church, we, we can't rest on our laurels. Just because at one point in time we were on fire for the Lord, if we're not on fire for the Lord today, we, we need to do something about that. God has called us to be running the race until he calls us home, until he says our race is over, right? And so if, just because maybe there was a period in our life where things were really on fire, doesn't mean that we get to let up now and just kind of coast on that achievement of the past. But it also means that Paul forgot about his past failures. Now, he admitted he wasn't perfect he admitted that he hadn't laid hold of that prize yet. Paul didn't spend his time, though, regretting. He acknowledged it. He was motivated by it. And he moved forward. Paul recognized, thirdly, that 
we all need to make progress. If we're going to keep our minds focused, we need to be moving somewhere. A stagnant mind is a mind that just kind of shuts down. And I think for a lot of us as Christians, we, 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 we dwell on negativity so long that we just become distracted and discouraged. When Paul said, look, we've been given every opportunity to have all the courage and all the passion to push forward and to do good things in this world. This world needs the message that we as Christians have, the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel. Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget it all. And I follow after, the ASV says, I press on, the ESV says, towards the call that God has given me. 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes this to his good friend, Timothy. I read this a lot because for me, in many ways, this is kind of my, my theme verse. I, I want to be able to say this in my older years, how, whenever, how many ever God has gives us. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul said, look, I, I've run the race. I've kept the faith. I pushed on, and I know with confidence that someday there's going to be something for me. That when my eyes close in death, I'm going to have an opportunity to experience everything that God had originally planned for us in heaven. Paul focused on his purpose, not his problems. And as we close this morning, I want you to notice that Paul also focused on people. If we're going to refocus our mind, we've got to recognize that, that really it's all about people. Right before Jesus left, Jesus gave to the disciples what we call the Great Commission. It was kind of his parting statement. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. As long as life and, and, and this world continues, God is with us. And as long as this world continues, that mission is still the same for those of us who are faithful and who answer the call to be God's chosen people in this world. So what does it mean to focus on people? Look back in verses 15 and 16, if you're still in Philippians 3. Paul changes something. Previous to this, Paul has said, I, I, I. But he changes his language here, and he says, for those of us who are mature, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul recognized that this spiritual journey that he was on was not just his spiritual journey. One of the reasons that it's so important that we still gather together as the children of God, even if it's in smaller groups than we, we would maybe like to, is that we need to realize that we are in this together with other people. We are not alone in our struggles. We're not alone in our challenges. We're not alone in trying to work through relationship issues. We're not alone in, in facing an uncertain future. No, we're surrounded by a whole group of other people who are walking this path along with us. And there's really three or four things that Paul kind of outlines here that I think are important for us to catch. Number one, Paul is genuinely concerned. When we're focused on people, we need to be genuinely concerned. Are you really worried about that cash register clerk at McDonald's? You know, imagine if you're, if you're worried about disease, there's somebody who sees a lot of people every day, right? 
We ask people, hey, how you doing? But are we really concerned with how they're doing? Do we stop and listen to what they say? Do we engage people? Paul, Paul would have done that. We know that he did that on a number of occasions. Are we willing to gently correct? I, I think it's interesting in this passage. Paul says, hey, everyone who's mature, we ought to think this way. And, and if anything you think otherwise, hang in there. God's going to help you see it differently, Right? Sometimes in life, we've grown to a place where we see the world differently. We see priorities differently. We understand things differently. Are we willing to gently guide people into a different direction? Because sometimes that's scary. Sometimes people don't take that, that gentle guidance very well. Sometimes they try to retaliate. But we need to. If we're focused on people, we need to be genuinely concerned. And we need to be willing to gently correct them. Paul says not only that, but he said this is a, a general command for all of us. Not just Paul, but all of us. Walk by the same rule. Mind the same thing. Do the same thing to be spiritually united. We have to have that common authority. And he said God is going to help you see that through God's word. Paul wasn't the only person that was focused on people. Sometimes in the seasons like these where things are a little bit crazy, we tend, to, we tend to become kind of inward focused. And I can't help but think of the story that unfolds in John, the 13th chapter. I just read it this week in Bible study with the girls. This moment of time where Jesus is gathered with the disciples, sat around the table. And he notices that no one has washed feet you might think, well, it's not really that important, or, I mean, if no one else is going to do it, I'm not going to do it, or, you mean, you mean, you want me to get a bowl and a towel and wash grubby, nasty, dirty feet that have walked in, in dust-covered roads all day today? Jesus could have chastised somebody. Maybe some of us as leaders would have said, uh, who is the servant that's in charge of washing feet? But Jesus doesn't do that. You know the story, but if you don't, Jesus gets up from the table, hours before he is going to hang on the cross for our sins, hours before Jesus is going to be completely emotionally broken in the garden because he realizes he's about to inherit a burden of sin for all mankind and to go through a place that none of us will have to, separation from the Father because his love for us was so great and his love for God was so complete. Merely moments before one of his own is going to walk out and betray him. Jesus picks up a bowl and a rag and starts to wash off the disciples' feet. Judas' feet, too. Peter's feet. Even though Peter protests, Peter, the great denier of Jesus, I've never known the man. A few hours later, Jesus is going to wash Peter's feet. <laughs> then he sits back down to the table puts his jacket back on and he looks at the guys and he says, do you understand what I've, I've done for you? You call me teacher, you call me Lord and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater 
than his master. Jesus said, hey guys, in case, uh, in case you're too occupied with dinner, in case you're like Jason and uh, your mind has trailed off right here, I just did a object lesson. I washed your nasty feet. I washed your nasty feet because none of the rest of you would. I've set you an example. And oh, by the way, just to keep things straight, I want you to remember you're not greater than me. Guys, if the greatest one to ever live paused from his busy life to wash feet in a moment of great need, how does that change our story? Maybe it changes it like this. John 13, verse 34. Later on in this very text, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Let me close with a quick story. Around, I think about around 230, I might have written down, 249 to 262 or so in the Roman Empire, A.D., there was a terrible outbreak that broke out in the Roman Empire. It's estimated by historians that wrote at that time that upwards of 5,000 people a day were dying at its outbreak, at the height of the outbreak in Rome alone. 5,000 people a day. And one elder in the church in Alexandria, which is in Egypt, so quite a distance away from Rome, went to Rome and observed what was happening there. And this is what he wrote. He says, on the first, at the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and they fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treating unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to advert the spread of the contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. At this moment of crisis, this elder noticed that the people in Rome became rather animalistic. They reacted. They shot back. They, they said, you're sick. Get away. Get away. Threw their very loved ones out in the roads. Treated people who were dying as though they were already dead. If you've ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they're collecting bodies. That kind of thing. But he noticed this about the church. He said, but most of our brother Christians showed unbounding love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick according to their every need and ministered to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. He says, there's nothing remarkable in cherishing merely our own people with the due attentions of our love, but that one might become perfect who should do something more than a heathen or the publicans to one who overcome evil and good and practice merciful kindness like that act of God should show his enemies as well. Thus the good was done to all men, not merely to only those in the household of faith. Let me tell you something, church. This is written and translated a generation ago when we talk a little bit higher than we do today. What he's saying is, is the church people took care of the sick people. Even if they got sick, 
The church people went out into the streets and into the trash piles, and they drug other people's loved ones in and cared for their needs. And let me tell you something, church. This is not something that just ancient Christians did in Rome. Plague after plague after plague, even our own influenza plague in the United States, churches and Christian people cared for those who were dying. Because Jesus said, that's what we do. In this, they will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. This is a season of test for our nation, for our president, and for the church. Let's make certain that we answer the call that we've been given in the way that our Savior, Jesus Christ, would have us answer that call. God, we, guys, we serve an awesome Father who has loved us and provided us with everything we need for ha happiness in life and this life, but most importantly, to look forward to eternity with him. Let's focus this week and for the rest of our lives on that truth. Let's stand together. And church, if you have a need, you know you can come as we close.